Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, thanks again for joining me on the show today. My guest is Rob Pickowitz, a 27-year veteran and retired sergeant of the Riverside County, California Sheriff's Department. Sit back, relax, and hear a personal perspective on law enforcement you may not be getting from our trusted media. Well, Rob, thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate you coming on and um, chatting about this. Uh, we're talking the kind of the the state of policing in America right now. Uh, it's it's been top of mind awareness for everybody in the last year or so because of you know all the high profile cases. You know the uh, the shootings, the, you know, the white cops killing black guys and just the, what the media has done. So the, I just wanted to just talk to you being a veteran of Riverside County Sheriff's Department for 27 years, your perspective, there's obviously there's thousands of police officers in the country, um, but we're not talking to them today. We're talking to you. We're going to get your perspective, what you see um, on, you know, reality of it and are we being fed the you know an accurate story by our media so um so that's kind of bonus one i wanted to start with was like is the dominant media narrative on policing in america is it accurate um you know it, it's it's interesting uh, as we went through this last few years uh it it's i think harder and harder if, when law enforcement officers are doing their job uh it you know and being kind of scrutinized on are you doing it right are you saying the right things um i i truly believe wholeheartedly that the men and women that are out there every day every night when people are sleeping are doing a fantastic job um the challenges of today's law enforcement whether it be uh, a police department, a sheriff's department, or a, a state agency uh, for us uh, out here in California, CH, you know, Highway Patrol, other other states with their state troopers. But um, it, the the challenges are off the charts from when I first started. Um, I got into law enforcement because I ultimately wanted to help people. I wanted to make sure that uh, uh, when when people put their heads down on their pillow, that they would feel safe. Uh, and I still believe that there's a lot of men and women out there that are, that are doing that exact thing. But the challenges are, are far greater today because of the media, but also as society is changing. And, you know, it used to be if when you're a little kid and you saw a police officer, you would wave at them, you would there was a respect level that because they were going to keep you safe and unfortunately the media i think even some parents um those in society have tarnished some of that because now it's well don't you know don't uh don't talk to them or hey see him if you do something bad he's going to put you in handcuffs well you know instead of being the one who is to help they're kind of the bad guy image uh, versus that good guy you know and we joke about it a lot of times you know between firefighters and 
in in uh, in police. Uh, you know, firefighters are always there to to help. You know, um, and the police are typically there when something really really bad's gone wrong. Wrong. Um, it's not always the case, but it, it there seems to be a little bit of that dynamic there that that seems to be consistent. But uh, you know, the media does not help um, because they don't always report the facts, um, the true facts. And the media doesn't hold the criminal responsible for their actions, but they're real quick to wanna to hold that officer um, for using force, whether justified or not, they wanna you know, break them over the coals. So it's a, it's a difficult a job because even if you do everything right by the policy, the perception is that your life was in jeopardy and you had to use lethal force, you're still scrutinized. And uh, we've had a number of incidents throughout the country in recent years that have been, um, you know, have caused civil unrest because they've been reported inaccurately, in my opinion. Or not um, having any key ingredients left out. Yes, I mean, and I, and I, I think if you ask, any, any veteran of law enforcement, it's an imperfect perfection or profession. You know, you, you, again, you can do everything right and it just doesn't look right. We understand it, why we had to do certain things. Um, and there's mistakes that are made. I mean, when you're talking life or death situations or even judgment on what should have been done or not done, um, you know, it, it's, it's, easy to, to Monday morning quarterback stuff after the fact. Yeah. When the adrenaline's not pumping. Yeah. Uh, I know, uh, for example, when I lived out there in Palm Springs, um, a friend of mine was, he, he volunteered for the Palm Springs police department and he took a group of uh, us leaders and some youth to a simulator, a shooting simulator. And I remember, so there's like a video playing, you have the the weapon that's of course attached to the computer, and then the person controlling the simulation can change what happens in the video based on how he sees you react. And that was that was such an eye opener for me because I was on this little incident, and someone turned on me, and I was I was like saying, "Drop your weapon!" And the the, the trainer's like, "You better tell him harder. You better be more forceful." And mm -hmm. and I just immediately got this adrenaline. And it was just a stupid video simulation, but it was yeah. amazing at how powerful that was. I can't even imagine having that real life. And then, and then just how fast things can turn to crap, which you don't often see in, you know, the video or the news you, you see the tail end of something, but you don't see what led up to that. So everything's always out of, con or not say always often out of context. Yes. Well, in, in those, those, uh, opportunities for for the public to to do those uh scenarios uh are are really great eye-opening opportunities because you know people think well gosh you know you're in this this uniform and you've got this badge and you've got this all this gucci equipment and you got a gun and you know and you, you're fit and you're and you're telling somebody hey stop or come over here or drop that and they're not doing it and and, and, and it's like, well, so what's, what's your next thing? Well, you, you keep asking them, you know, you keep asking them. And then, okay, they still don't do it. 
So then you've got to be, you know, thinking quick. We got to re react appropriately. Now, what's my next level of force? Or do I go right to lethal force potentially, depending upon what they're carrying, depending upon how they're acting, depending upon what they've done? What is their threat to if they're holding a knife? What if there's kids in 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 the next room over? These are all real life scenarios that you know officers deal with on a regular basis. And okay, he drops it. Well, now he's capable of rushing you. You have your gun out. It there's there's a whole bunch of things that that can happen, and it can happen real fast. Um, and I think. I honestly believe that today's law enforcement gets, and I can speak mainly from a California perspective, uh, you know, regular training, and there's, you, you could train a lot. The real, reality is um, you, the more you're training, the, the less you're out in the field available to serve the public. And staffing is always an issue. Budgets create, you know, um, issues. So, you know, as much as we want to train people, uh, it, it, it does put added strains on the system um, to, to be able to perform the day-to-day -day tasks. And, uh, but I do think California law enforcement does a really good job of training uh, from the time you get in the academy and all the way through uh, your field training programs. And, and then typically there's... Uh, you know, annual training, regular training that goes on. Uh, as a sergeant, I used to make sure that all my guys would would pick subjects so that they could, you know, teach, self-teach, you know, uh, a shift, go over case law, go over um, recent incidents that are going on, you know, in, in our community nationwide so that, you know, we can learn from that. It's a constant, every night you're, you're working on that process of getting people ready to go out in the field um, and, and deal with the threats that are out there. And on top of that, um, you know, I used to always stress with all my, my patrol shifts that, yeah, we might be dealing with a lot of dirt bags. We might be dealing with a lot of criminals, but we're also in those communities that we're trying to serve. There's some good people that really need us in there because if we're not in there, they've got nothing. They've got no protection whatsoever. So you, you know, you have to, you know, especially when you're working those graveyard shifts and you're working some pretty rough areas, trying to get your shift to be mentally uh, prepared to go out there and deal with those challenges uh, with a good attitude. You know, it, you work 12 hour shifts. Well, we all know it's not just 12 hours that you're up and you're going out there. Uh, you know, you, you're, you're dealing with those physical, uh, psychological challenges, just going out there and trying to put on a happy face and deal with the public in a positive way. It can be difficult. Well, yeah, that's an understatement. So let me talk, let's lead right in because this is perfect timing. Uh, you talked about budgets. And I know in the past, there's recent past, there's been a lot of talk about defunding the police because they have too much power and it causing too many problems. So talk to me about what that would look like. And I know it's, I, I, is it, I think it's happening in some places where, you know, cops are either, I know that uh, either Seattle or Portland, I think it's Portland. 
some of their elite teams have said we're, we're out, we're what they're, they're walking. So what does that look like into a, in a community? Well, and it, let's, and talking about the impact of, okay, we're going to, we're going to cut, we're going to cut uh, budgets. Well, if you're going to cut budgets, that means you're going to be cutting pay for, you know, for the frontline staff that are going out there dealing with, with uh, the element of, of uh, the bad guys. So, so now I take a, a big cut. Uh, that's definitely demoralizing because what you're going to find throughout the country is the majority of police officers don't make a ton of money. It, it's one of those professions uh, you'll be comfortable, but you're never going to be a rich man. Um, and what you get paid, you take California with just minimum wage with what it's gone up to and what a lot of mid-level police departments are paying a police officer or deputy sheriff, it really isn't a that significant amount more uh, when you get right down to it. So if you defund the police, you're gonna affect direct directly officers and deputies, their um, ability to put, put a roof over their family's head and food on the table because Again, it, it's one of those things that, um, um, you know, it's um, it, 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 that, that in itself will, will affect the, the service that, that it's being provided. Secondly, you start taking away equipment. You start taking away um, training because for every officer that goes to training, somebody has to fill that spot. Um, so if normally you send out we have shifts that'll send out uh, 12, 14, 15 uh, on a shift. Um, so if, if one of my, my deputies has training, I have to give him the day off. He's not just gonna go to training for eight hours and then come back and work a 12 hour shift. So you know, that day has to be filled uh, because we have minimum staffing. If we're gonna go out there and handle the services that we have safely, we have minimum staffing. Now, it would be great to go above that and have extra, but not every city uh, is able to afford those things. So just basic minimum staffing, and a lot of these, that's what these big cities are looking at, just basic minimum staffing. Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, LAPD, um, you know, all these agencies are running at basically minimum staffing. And so, you, who do you fill it with? Well, you fill it with overtime because you're not hiring a new new uh, officer or deputy. So the guy that already worked his regular hours is working an extra day. It's it's a vicious cycle. So budget-wise, you start cutting this, it makes it really hard. Um, and then you know we we get into the whole hiring process. You know if if you're not hiring, you're not paying. Uh, decent ba uh, basic wages and benefits, this is a tough career just to go out there every night and put up with what we put up with. The, you know, you, you have to make a decent amount every, you know, every payday to be able to, to enjoy life in general. And um, we all know with the economy the way it is, um, you know, it, everything's getting more expensive. So if you're not getting at a minimum of cost of living raises, on a yearly basis, you start, you know, it's it, again, it, it, it can be very difficult. Uh, defunding the police, I, it, 
politicians don't, they, they want to change who we're hiring. They want to change how much we're getting paid. I, I get that they have levels of responsibility, but they're only going to make their communities less safe because I can tell you from working personnel as a, as a supervisor, hiring quality officers is one of the most difficult things that you could do uh, because the, the hiring process is so stringent between basic backgrounds, psychological testing, polygraphs, physical fitness. It is hard. Um, so, and then ultimately you have to find somebody who wants to do it. Yeah, there, yeah, and you have to you have to just want to serve people because I I know about seven years ago, I was auditioning I, I say auditioning, for the Utah Highway Patrol, and I think Ian, you were contacted as one of my references, and that was a nightmare process, and that was just a like a first couple interviews, but that took six months. Yeah, typically, um, for for us when I was in personnel, it from the time that you start the, the process to where that that deputy sheriff would be out in the field handling calls for service you're talking about um 18 to 24 months so the hiring process can run six to eight months the basic academy is another six months field training is could be anywhere from six to eight months depending upon you know uh, various aspects of training so, you know, it, it can run just for that one, and I, I try not to use this term because, because Nan doesn't like that when I say body, but to get an actual body that is a viable deputy or police officer to go out there and handle calls for service takes that long where they can go solo and, and handle the, the rigors of the job. And so just being able to do that is, it's, it's a very time-consuming, expensive proposition. So, yeah, that's not going to work. That's no, not going to work. And, you know, and, 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 you know, politicians, you know, they, they want us to hire um, the, the demographics of the communities that we serve. It's hard enough just finding quality applicants. Um, you know, there's been a push to hire, you know, more females, more minorities. Um, and I can tell you right now, the, those who want to do this, it doesn't, it, you, 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 you try to hire the best quality applicant. Yeah. The whole, that whole hiring on a quota type thing, that to me is a, and I get the idealistic, it, that in an ideal world, that would be phenomenal. But yeah, you, how about you just hire a qualified person, no matter what they look like or what race they are, what, you know, that's crazy to me to, to hire based on that. You're, you're crippling your, you know, yeah, unless that you, person wants to be there. Well, I can tell you this, um, when, when I was in personnel, I had a, um, uh, an African-American deputy who had worked for uh, Compton PD and he had come over to the Riverside County Sheriff's Department um, after about eight years with Compton. Uh, he lived out in the uh, Riverside area. So it made more sense for him to apply and, and be closer to home. Um, so we were coming back from, from an event and we got to talking about some of the stuff and he goes, hey, Sarge, you know, I just want to let you know that even though um, there's a push to hire more African-Americans and more females, I can tell you right now, it's harder 
for an African-American officer or deputy to go work in a predominantly African-American uh, community because there's, there's, you would, they want to, politicians want to sell it like, oh my gosh, you're going to, you're going to send somebody in there that, that the community can identify with. But the reality is, according to this, this deputy was, it can, it can be harder because now they, there's a level of expectation that you're going to, that you sold out, that you gave into the system. And it can be even more difficult for a minority to work an area that they're predominant. Now, again, we hire the best people. So whether you're sending in a, a, a white officer or Hispanic officer or African-American, Asian, the reality is you're sending in the best qualified officer. It doesn't matter what color they are, but it can be difficult for uh, the community just to, okay, um, we have, we have some some of our um, our contract cities, and and you know from from living out here, city of Coachella is predominantly Hispanic. Um, Ninety, I believe, this recent census that just came out says it's ninety six percent Hispanic. Okay, well we don't just put Hispanic deputies that work in there. We put the best qualified deputies that could go in there and handle the calls for service. Does that mean that the city isn't getting Good service? I don't think so. They're getting the best deputy sheriffs that can go handle the the demands that the city has, and we we couldn't just put Hispanic dep deputies in there. That wouldn't be right either, because. Um, but there's there's politicians out there that have this false sense that you know we need to put you know more more. Uh, deputies out there that, that the community can identify with. Well, again, it's hard enough to find quality you know, uh, personnel because even though they, they get through the academy, even though they get through a training program, you know, they've gotten through the hiring process, it doesn't guarantee that they're gonna make it in this profession. They may get a year, two years down the road or even in training that they may realize, you know, this is not for me. I don't want to work on the weekends. I don't want to be fighting with people. I don't want to be uh, shot at. I don't want to have to deal with missing my kid's birthday because I have to work. Um, there, there's some professions that allow those things to be able to not miss out on, on you know, family gatherings and stuff. When you get into law enforcement, you're sacrificing a lot. And uh, with that sacrifice comes family sacrifices. And that can be difficult. For, for some individuals. Let's talk a little bit, since this is in, you know, in fresh on everyone's mind, just the whole cops and race. Okay. And the, the, the statistics you hear that, you know, so many cop, you know, black men are shot by white cops and in and, and the profiling. And, and again, I know you can only speak for your department or your, you know, the Riverside County, but is that a thing or is that a myth? I, I truly believe it's an absolute myth that's been kind of portrayed uh, both politically and in the media. Um, that, it, you know, if, if you work certain areas, uh, so I'll give you the example of Coachella, 96% Hispanics. What are the chances on 
on each call that you go to that you're going to come across Hispanic. Way high. Very high. So if I'm working a predominantly African-American community, what are the chances I'm going to come across an African-American when I make a vehicle stop or whether I, I stop and do a, a, a pedestrian check, a, you know, consensual contact, go to a call for service. We don't pick, we don't pick calls for service. You, you get assigned a call. Dispatch sends you a call. You go to a call. You deal with the problem. So for us to go, hmm, I have an issue with African-Americans or I have an issue with a minority. Uh, it is, it's blown way out of proportion through the media. They never uh, hold the criminal accountable. And again, if law enforcement makes mistakes, they're going to be held accountable. There's it, it, in today's world, if if you make a mistake, if if it's going to get investigated, it's going to get you know determined whether you're within policy and procedure, what you were trained to do, you you're going to either be exonerated or you're going to be raked over the coals. Um, but the reality is, the media always has to bring in the race card, and that's not right. You know. Um, you know, whether it be, you know, if it's a African-American deputy or, or officer and they shoot somebody, they don't say it was an African-American officer, but it seems like when it's a white officer on a minority, they, it's a quick identifier that they make sure they put that in there. Well, it's a headline. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, it, shame on the media for, for doing that because, um, I can tell you in all the years that I've done this, I've never worked with anybody who directly went out there looking for a particular race to go and force a law against. Again, when we stop a car, we stop the car for a violation. Yeah, we might be on the hunt looking for more than just a, a ticket, uh, but the reality is you're stopping a car. If it just so happens to have somebody in it that a minority, and it just goes with the territory, but there's no singling out anybody. Again, if you're if you're in a area that has a, a high percentage of any race, you're going to have better chance of of you know it's um, kind of catching fish in a barrel. I guess you know if, if that's the case, it may not be the best example, but you know again, you go out there, you're trying to enforce the laws, you're trying to uh, take bad guys to jail, whether whether they're hurting people, whether they're taking something they shouldn't be taking, um, up to criminal activity. That's the whole premise of being in law enforcement is to to go out there, and there's no other job in this in this nation that has the authority to take somebody's freedom away. If you think about that, there is no other no other profession that you have that authority to take somebody's freedom away. When you put somebody in handcuffs and put them in the backseat of your car, you, they can't go anywhere. So I think when, when we hire people and we put them through the, the training process, we make sure that they're going to hopefully use the best judgment possible when they use that authority. Um, when they have to use lethal force, hopefully they're trained appropriately, that they've gone through all the necessary rigors of you know, they're confident in their skill set to be able to make that decision. Sometimes it's not very clear. Um, and uh, 
you know, are there bad shoots? Yeah, there's some bad shoots. Um, but I think the majority of the time, a high majority of the time, uh, those decisions are really spot on. When you get right down to it, it they're spot on. You know, whether, whether the bad guy had a gun or he had something in his hand or he was a threat to human life, those, those are all determinations on, on that individual who has to make that call. Well, that leads me to my next incident, and that's the one. It happened shortly after the George Floyd verdict in Ohio. Are you familiar with that one? Which one I'm talking about with the young with the young officer that showed up on a scene. There was a fight in the neighborhood. It was a a black girl going after her friends with a knife. You remember that? Okay. And it was literally so he was running out to the car. Yes, and he literally okay. had eight seconds to make a decision. Uh. Let's kind of pick that apart because I, I hear all these people saying, well, he, he could have shot her in the leg or, or, or all these. Again, it's the Monday morning quarterbacking. But that one was mind-blowing to me on how fast he had to act to save the life of the girl that she was attacking. Mm-hmm. But yet that got taken. And I think even LeBron James took a picture of the cop and said something like, you're next. Yeah, not even knowing, and the media just ran with that. So, this again, let's maybe talk about this philosophy when people said, "Why didn't they just? Why couldn't they stun her? Why couldn't they use, you know, like like the British do, where they they talk them down or they they don't have guns? I mean, let's talk about that case, or, or, or can you even? It's yeah. apples and oranges comparison for one, but look, well, you know, your thoughts on that one. You know, uh, not knowing every detail of what, you know, obviously there's so much that doesn't get reported what led up to it. And, you know, if, if officers have knowledge going into it of who they're dealing with, maybe they've dealt with these characters before, um, you know, they've been to the house numerous times, um, or they get there and everything just goes to hell in a handbasket real quick. So, um, the idea of us using less lethal options is always, you know, potentially there. Um, but, you know, people think, well, why don't they go through this, this little continuum of force? You know, you go from your presence to verbal, to chemical, to, um, uh, you know, less lethal, which would be, you know, uh, uh, taser, impact weapon with a baton. Uh, why don't they use all those things before they just shoot somebody? Well, the reality is you can go from your presence to less lethal force within nanoseconds. And that case specifically was literally, I counted it. It was like 11 seconds from the time he showed up. And that girl was went after two girls right in front of him. Mm-hmm. Other people were fighting right in front of him, literally 11 seconds from the time he, he shot her. Well, you know, the, the whole idea is in, in, you know, politicians may want to argue this, uh, the, you know, liberal uh, attorneys may want to argue this, but the reality is if you're going to shoot somebody, you're not shooting them to wound them. You're shooting them. It's lethal force. Stop the threat. You're, you hope stop the threat because there's not enough time in the day to evaluate, oh, well, can I, should I? because either somebody's gonna die and you're gonna be held liable for that, for not taking action, or you're gonna get killed. So 
if somebody's got a knife um, or, or, you know, nowadays there, there's plenty of people out there in society that may not look like they're a threat, but I guarantee, you know, even yourself who you're, you're fit, you're, you're, you're not a small guy, you would have a rough time dealing with them. And it, it's not a size thing just because they're not six, four, you know, 270 doesn't mean that they can't take that gun away from you and then just shoot somebody in the leg or in the arm or shoot the gun out of their hand um in a stressful situation i can tell you right now i'm a pretty good shot uh, i'm a former swat guy i mean i'm a pretty good shot but in even in a stressful situation i'm not that good a shot to to do one of those circus shots to shoot the gun out of their hand and uh you know shoot them in the leg because it, there's there's proven uh, statistics that have shown that even when somebody is shot in a lethal manner, they've been, they're legally dead, but they have enough adrenaline, they're on drugs, that they can continue to fight. You know, there's so many people who are on drugs who are, have psychological problems that you don't necessarily know that when you're dealing with them. It's, yeah, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback it, but the reality is that you don't know it in the time and you've shot them in a, in a lethal location and they're still, they're still fighting. And um, so for, for the general public and for, you know, those who think that we're um, sharpshooters, um, it is it's ridiculous for them to even think that not a reality well, that leads me to my next question or, or or the things that have been brought up in the last six seven eight months is you know what you know diverting some of the funds to a mental health person that's you know got some minimum law enforcement training but their mentally health that's that's their their you know taking them to kind of help analyze the situation and i guess in maybe a situation that was developing slower, you could do that. Whereas this one I'm talking about in Ohio, there's no way. No, that, it would, it, that person would have been in harm's way too. Well, now, now you're trying to protect this uh, unarmed civilian. Um, you know, even if they are uh, trained up on some of our tactics and stuff, now you're you're dealing with your ability to protect them. And um, I know LAPD has gone to these. Uh, I don't know if they're police aides or their specific title that they've given, but they're, they're, they're going in and they're going to deal with these non-emergency situations. Well, there's a lot of non-emergency calls that we go to that go south really quick. And, um, you know, we go to, um, you know, basic disturbances. We go to, um, you know, 5150s where they're not violent, but when they get there, it seems like something happens. So, you know, the, some of these scenarios can turn, you know, violent in, in, a, in a real quick manner. So if, if you're going to put funding into uh, that, I, I think you're better off either hiring more officers and training them up in special areas or have special units doing that. Um, we had a program years ago where we took mental health uh, professionals, clinicians, they would ride out with, with uh, our deputies. They would deal with a lot of domestic related problems with families and, and it would help them after the incident's handled, not during the incident. 
um, you know, it, it's, it's very difficult at times dealing with resources in the moment. We have to secure the scene. We have to make sure bad guys are going to jail, people who've done stuff wrong, um, securing crime scenes so that they get investigated appropriately without being contaminated. Um, resources can be offered for mental health, for other family services um, after the fact. But these, these calls need to be handled by officers. This is my opinion. So I, I, I think these politicians are looking, you know, and you're seeing this up in, in Seattle, you're seeing it even in LA, you're seeing it in other parts of the country where they're trying to come up with these new fangled uh, ideas. The only thing that's gonna get order is putting police officers out there and empowering them to do their job. If, if, if everything that they do is scrutinized, I can tell you right now, there's less and less people going to jail than there used to be. Because one, in California, they minimized, a, they, they lowered a lot of offenses, uh, drug offenses, theft offenses. Um, they don't want to take people to jail because it's expensive to book people into the jail and house them and keep them in there. Um, so the answer ultimately is you have to, you have to train officers up to handle these calls. I don't think putting uh, unarmed civilian type of individuals out there to handle calls that are supposedly not emergency type of calls, 911 type of calls out there, you're just creating a whole another confusing aspect of the system. Or a safety issue for you and that person, right? Like, as you mentioned, yeah, you have to protect them now and yourself. You know, you, you, then you start dealing with, okay, if, if we're tied up with a lot of resources on one kind of middle of the road type of call, those other calls aren't being handled. You know, you as a victim that your house just got broken into and uh, you're waiting hours for somebody to get there to investigate it or, um, you know, now there's a domestic violence, but everybody on the shift is on this particular call. There's nobody there to handle that domestic violence call. Uh, you're going to have to either break somebody away. It, it's it's a vicious cycle. You, you know, you need adequate staffing and very well trained individuals to handle these calls for service. So, so probably not a good idea, but maybe future future hiring guy hiring people that can be cops and have that background. Maybe that would maybe that's the trick. Well, like I, I mentioned to you earlier, you know, there, there's so many hats that that police wear, you know, law enforcement wears. I mean, you can go from a call where you're on an unintended death and it, it's an 85 year old woman who just lost her husband of 50 plus years and you're having to console them. And then the next call for service, you're dealing with a three striker parolee who wants to try to kill you and you have to switch that around really quick. And so, you know, you're being asked to be sensitive on one call and then you're asked to be highly tactful, you know, be, be a, you know, be a, a, a hard ass, a, a, a tactical, you know, stern uh, officer on the next call. And then you clear that call and then you've got to go deal with, um, um, you know, some other type of a fraud or, you know, whatever it may be. It, it, it's, you, you, it's these calls aren't 
the simple aspects, you know, everybody wants service. Everybody wants to these calls handled appropriately. And um, to be able to turn that off and on uh, is a real difficult process. And over the years, you know, it, it can be harder and harder on an officer to continually change, um, change those hats. Um, that's why in this profession, you know, you're seeing a few years ago, you saw a lot of these budgets they wanted in California, they wanted to increase uh, or they were going after retirements for law enforcement. They, they were get too expensive. Well, law enforcement isn't a job that typically you can work till you're 65. Um, there's a lot of professions that you can, but law enforcement isn't one in my opinion. You know, um, you can get beat up pretty good. In my career, I've been shot at. I've got stabbed in the arm. I've tore up my knee, shoulder, you know, pec muscle. Uh, I've gone through my gamut of injuries, but uh, um, I couldn't imagine doing this until I'm 65. And uh, uh, because to deal with the demands, the physical and the mental demands of this job uh, it is extremely hard. And I did 27. You're a superhero. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Um, but I, you know, nowadays, you know, for, for those who can get into other aspects, you know, get into investigations, that's the whole, a lot of, a lot of officers and deputies, their hope is that they can promote into positions where they're not pushing a black and white because the hardest job in, in law enforcement is going out there in a black and white and dealing with the public on a day-to-day -day basis. Just patrol. Patrol is the grind. Patrol is, as a young, as a young copper, that's what you want to do because that's where you really learn the most there's there's it's hard to learn unless you get out there and handle calls for service when, when we would get people wanting to get hired on by by the department oh, i want to i want to go into homicide or i want to be a swat guy or well you realize you first you have to be a good deputy sheriff before you know before you can move into those you know specialty areas you have to prove yourself that you know what you're doing and how to handle it um you know and and uh, you know, since we hire from the human race, we, we hire people who have strengths and they have a lot of weaknesses. And so some people may be really good at the physical aspects of this job, but maybe they don't talk real well to people, or maybe they are, um, you know, they write really well. They write a phenomenal detailed police report. Um, you know, the, you hope that you can get all that in one package, but the reality is, you know, just like in any, any profession, you're going to have people who have some really good, strong um, skill sets, and then you're going to have some that are kind of in the middle of the road. Um, you know, back in the post-Vietnam era, you saw a lot of guys coming out of the military and going right into law enforcement. A lot of people think, "Man, if you've been in, if you've been in law, if you've been in the military, you'll be perfect for law enforcement." That's not the case. You know, it, the military has a whole different uh, level of ex expectations and, and requirements. When you go into law enforcement in the in the private world or in the you know in the public that we're serving, you know you're dealing with real life issues, you know, um, and you you have to be able to turn it on and turn it off and have some real specific skills. And there's a lot of people in the military who are really good at being told what to do. When you're pushing a black and white and handling calls, a lot of times you have to be very self sufficient in in making decisions on the fly. Hopefully, if you have any in-depth questions, that there's a superior, you know, officer or 
uh, supervisor that can help them out. But you know, we're asking people to make decisions on the fly a lot of times. And um, uh, you know, so being from the military background doesn't correlate directly to being in law enforcement. All right, on, just uh, kind of wrapping up a bit. Is there is there anything you want to say to either just the general public, politicians, or media that maybe I haven't asked you about? You know, hey guys, look at us this way, or think about it this way that, that maybe they're not that I haven't asked you as we wrap yeah, this up. I, I think that you know um, when you're in it on a day to day basis and you're pushing a black and white and you really, unfortunately, from a law, enfor law enforcement perspective, you really start to get that them versus us mindset. And, and it, it's really great when you can work in communities that are very supportive of what you're trying to do for, for the public. Um, it's sad when one incident tarnishes that, you know, the, the Ferguson incident, um, you know, that was so poorly, uh, reported and uh, you know there's other incidents that get reported and misled misleads the public to think that we're we're doing something wrong but the reality is it does feel at times that there's a them versus us but um, it really shouldn't be like that um, and and I think the media has turned even more so because a lot of a lot of officers go out there and you know because we're not dealing with the good most of the good people in society we're not. I mean, uh, you know, most of the good people that we're dealing with are typically the victims of crime. So that 10, 12% of the population that we're dealing with that are the bad people, that's what we're really dealing with. And it really isn't the them and us, but it feels like that sometimes because we, you know, we're scrutinized so, so much. And, uh, you know, if, if, if I could tell people to, to really, um, appreciate the men and women that are out there trying to do their job. They're not perfect people. They weren't hired to be perfect. They're gonna make mistakes. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know at what point that the public expected law enforcement to be perfect. Um, maybe it's with what they watch on TV. You know, that false sense that, you know, you can handle an investigation within 48 minutes of, a, of a, or, never have to take any uh, reports uh, in a, uh, you know, after watching a movie, uh, you never see anybody take a report. Uh, the grind of writing reports and investigating crimes, uh, you know, the accountability to handle it so that that case can go from an arrest to a conviction. Um, law enforcement only arrests people, we don't convict people. We enforce the laws, but we don't convict people. That's another part of the justice system. Um, I think every kid should should have to go through uh, a criminal justice class in high school and understand it. You know, I, I appreciate when when history teachers or social science teachers take their kids into into the courts and see what how a court case is handled. It, it, it would be nice if if people could go through those shoot or don't shoot scenarios um, because if they would they would get a real appreciation for what what these men and women are really trying to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, there's some phenomenal people out there and, and it has nothing to do with whether they're white, black, Asian, 
Hispanic, whatever. Um, it, it has to do with the individuals because they're putting their, their lives and their families are, are having to put up with those sacrifices. It's not just that officer that goes out there and is working from um, six at night till six in the morning. It, it, his family, when they go off to work, you know, if, if somebody is a uh, accountant, I don't think that their family is too worried about when they go off to, to work, whether they're going to be ambushed or attacked. Um, families have, the, the reality is that officer has the stress, but the family knowing that their officer or their family members going out there serving the public in this world is got to be very, very stressful. And, um, and I, I've seen that even with my own family. They, they've gone through the rigors of my sacrifices because they've had to make those same sacrifices. So it's not just one officer, it's that family, those families that are connected to that officer. People need to realize that, you know, um, you know, there's, you know, the, the whole George Floyd incident itself, you could, we could scrutinize that. And if you talk to enough officers, it'd be like, guy, can you just get off of them? There's no need to keep your neck, your knee on his neck, get off of them at some point. Yeah. Um, should it, should it create such a dissension within our society, people rioting, you know, causing hate and discontent, you know, deal with that particular incident. It's not indicative of officers out there. It's not, there are not, you know, there's not racist cops. There's not this, um, you know, um, you know, racism in law enforcement. Um, if you want to call, you know, you know, the reality is George Floyd had a, a, a long-term criminal history. He had committed a crime. I'm not saying he should have been dealt with in that fashion. You know, if he couldn't, he couldn't breathe then get off of him. There's no need for you to hold him down like that or put him in the backseat of your car, call for medical. Um, those are the mistakes that are made and law enforcement has to live with them. Unfortunately, the guy that commits uh, a boneheaded mistake in Minneapolis, now every, every officer and deputy throughout the country is being scrutinized for it. So, um, you know, they, they, uh, there, there's been this, okay, you're not supposed to hit somebody with, with, your, with your flashlight, with your mag light. Well, when somebody's attacking you and you hit them with a flashlight versus your baton, it's just the circumstances. It's not like you're, if I had time to put my flashlight away versus grab my baton, so be it. But all these little things go on in law enforcement that the average person just does not understand. And, and it rightfully so, because they don't want to. It, um, you know, there's things that go on uh, where, you know, we get into fights with people and people get their arms broken, get, get injured. Um, but I can guarantee for all those injuries that, that these suspects may receive, there's a lot of officers that get injured in those fights too. You know, some of them are even career ending, tear a shoulder up, um, tear a knee up, injure your back. Um, it, 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 it's, it's not your, it's not just the, what you see on TV because these guys can jump over a car and, you know, land on their feet and then continue running after somebody. There's, there's so many scenarios that, that are uh, unrealistic on what people view us as. But um, yeah, I just it would be nice if if people did just appreciate what what law enforcement is trying to do. That is a perfect ending. 
just appreciate and thank them and, and know that they have a thankless job, um, especially now because of the, the, the microscope that the, you guys are under is, is way, way more intense than it ever has been. So, so I appreciate you coming on and sharing, um, your perspectives and, um, yeah, we, you know, if, if we, uh, anything else pops up or something we want, we can talk about, we can, yeah. we can do a little follow up and, but, uh, but I thank you for, for taking the time and just sharing your, sharing your world with us. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. I mean, uh, you know, it's, I, I take a lot of pride on what, what I did for all those years and, and, uh, but I'm, I'm glad to pass on the torch to, to the next generation. Um, the next group of know. suckers. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, it's gotten to a point where it's, it's actually hard to watch news, uh, especially when, you know, I mentioned to you, you know, there was an ambush situation in San Bernardino where a uh, San Bernardino Sheriff's deputy was shot in the head. There was another incident today just that's related to that where two more officers were, were injured. Um, it, there's a lot of that stuff that goes on on a daily basis that the public doesn't necessarily see. Occasionally they'll see that six o'clock news, um, or catch it on their phone. But, um, I, I, I heard a lady one time when we were dealing with, uh, um, some civil unrest last year and, um, they, some of the guys had gotten, you know, bottles thrown at them and, uh, you know, bricks thrown at them. And some lady on the media says that, you know, that's their job. They're supposed to do that. Well, I, I don't know. It's our job to, to get hit with a brick or to get shot at. Um, it, 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 a, it happens, but it shouldn't happen. I mean, we all know that there, there's potential life, life or death situations for us, but it shouldn't be happening. So it's just, unfortunately, the ugliness of the job. Yeah. Yeah. So, but people think that it's our job to die for for uh, the, the profession, uh, a lot of people are willing to sacrifice their lives, but uh, you know, uh, we're people too, and we want to live long, um, happy lives, just like everybody else wants to. How dare you want such things? Yeah, yeah, and the media doesn't always portray us like that. Uh, rarely, rarely. So, which is a sad, which is a sad reality. But all right, Rob. Well, thank you, man. Appreciate it once again. Thank you again for listening to the Parish to Thought show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from the Parish to Thought show.